Chris Galsey here with Matt Howell on this episode of The First Run. Matt and I are going to discuss scary stories to tell in the dark. It is the cinematic adaptation of those terrifying books you read as a child. Will the film hold up? I'll also be sharing my thoughts about Lulu Wang's The Farewell, starring Aquafina, the latest film from A24, getting all the love. And then Matt and I will both share our thoughts on Memories of a Murder, currently available on Amazon Prime, directed by Bong Joon-ho, who has done some films we are fairly big fans of around here. And then finally, it's the return of What Are the Odds? It's everybody's favorite odds-making game. And I swear to God, I tried to keep as many superheroes out of it as I possibly could. Not me. Not you. Well, why should you? So let's start everything off with a clip from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. They make us who we are. That can be scary. Eat it, Harold. Do you want to see Haunted House? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Should we go now? Who ordered the chicken? It's a book of scary stories. Tell me a story. So Stella, August, and Tommy are a group of friends, Matt. And they meet up with a kid named Ramon who is on the run, maybe? And the four of them get together. They go into this haunted house. Well, this old rundown house. And they find this book of scary stories. And what happens, Matt, though, is they awaken something. And then new stories start to be written about them and some of their peers. And they're desperate to try and stop things before everything goes too far and it's too late. Now, Matt, I had not read the books, as I stated. I just don't know if they weren't as prominent. I was old enough when they were came around in 81, right? So, yeah. Now, granted, I, I think I was reading War and Peace at that point. So, of course. Uh, and I just finished The Metamorphosis. So maybe I was just too far ahead of this at this point. Right. You were a fan of the books, though. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, it is an accurate statement because I was a creepy little kid. And you grew up into a creepy adult. That's refreshing. <laughs> so, Matt, how does Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark hold up comparable to the books? Is it a, is it a faithful adaptation? And did it deliver the thrills and the chills you were looking for? <laughs> So it's not really a faithful adaptation, but I don't really see how it could be. Um, So Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is essentially old folk tales, campfire stories, ones you've heard of, like The Hook and stuff like that, with some really truly disturbing painted uh, ink art in there. But I mean, at the end of the day, they're really just kind of these short little stories that that, younger readers will find uh, creepy. And it's kind of like an introduction to kind of that scary stuff that's pretty safe. This, I think, is basically the same thing insofar as that's what it sets out to accomplish. I think this is meant for younger viewers, kind of like my first horror movie kind of thing. And I think in a lot of ways, it's pretty effective. A lot of the visuals that came through that were terrifying or horrifying from the books, they came out in real life or on the screen, just as creepy as they were in the uh, in the books. And uh, overall, I mean, I think it's... 
it's not the best horror movie I've ever seen. It's got some parts to it, but it's, you know, for what it is, it's actually a pretty dark film that goes to some pretty dark places that I was surprised about. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I have to say, knowing what I do of the illustrations, from what I understand, it's the illustrations really were were, were what was so terrifying about those books. The stories were well written, but they really captured the imagery and really some terrifying stuff in those illustrations. And the ones I've seen, and I think I've seen all the ones that showed up in this, except for the, uh, is it the jangly man is what he's referenced as here uh, in uh, Wikipedia. That's yeah. the Mi Tai Dodi Walker. Yeah. Thing. So that one I wasn't familiar with, but uh, the Toe Monster and then the Pale Lady and the Scarecrow I had seen previously. Right. And they are all suitably creepy as hell. <laughs> now, I watched this thing and I came out of it feeling like, well, that was well done, but unremarkable, mm-hmm. but entertaining enough. And then I kind of realized later on that this was not a movie for me. Right. If I watch this through the lens of a children, like a child of a children's horror film, then I think this thing is really effective. Now, it simply just wasn't made for me, but I think it does still have some great atmosphere to it. The creatures are really creepy in it and, and disturbing. Even as an adult, I would say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think kid me would really, really have loved this thing. Adult draded me is like, all right, that was fine. Right. You know, it was pretty good and creepy, but I'm wondering if I watched this if I was like 12 years old or something, that this thing would have freaked me the hell out. Now, granted, I saw The Evil Dead, I think, around 13, 14, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But still, I think looking at it through a proper lens, I think it's much more effective than maybe Jaded Chris thought it was. It's not bloody at any in any way. It's really just kind of got this sense of dread. And, you know, the visuals are, like I said, really well done. Um, and... You know, at the end of the day, I mean, these are young actors who are supposed to be playing kids in high school and they look the part and they make the choice to, you know, have bad stuff happens to them and that stuff sticks. Like, that's not something you see very often in the horror film. So I applaud them for doing that. I thought, again, you know, I'm with you. If I had been eight, nine, ten years old when I saw this, this would be something that I would still be talking about to the, this day as like, you know, the, something that really affected me and what I, I would have a lot of affection for. So I think it's really effective for what it sets out to do. I mean, if you're kind of like the jaded horror fan like we are, who is used to seeing a lot of gore or a lot of, um, you know, always effective monster makeup or anything that's maybe got something deeper to say, like your It Follows or Hereditary or something like that, you're not going to get that here. But I think it is pretty effective. And if you want to go with maybe a younger budding horror fan in your life, this is a perfect movie to take them to. Yeah. It's a gateway film, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I definitely. look at it. So yeah. it's, it's a transitionary film for young people, maybe who, who like horror and like to see and get into a little more of it as they get older. Uh, and also one thing too, I thought was interesting. I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Is it weighs heavily in on some political themes too. It's, it's a fairly anti-war film. The film takes right. place on and around Halloween 19, was it 68? Yep. And then also it weighs heavily into corporate malfeasance and like the pollution and corporate corporations doing bad things, right? Right. And how did you feel about that? Did that feel shoehorned in for you? Are we trying to make a statement or did it work for you? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it was good for them to kind of set the time period, I guess. I don't really know what he was trying to say. I think if this film had been made in the Bush era, maybe that would have been more appropriate, would have been more obvious because of the, you know, 
Vietnam parallels versus, you know, what was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. But here, other than having a crook in the White House and, you know, having people, it's not like even people really support Nixon or anything like that, but it's all centered around Vietnam and everything that goes around, goes with that. So that seems kind of, I didn't see how that fit into this, mm-hmm. but the corporate greed and malfeasance and stuff like that, that, you know, that, F, that fit and that hit home. And um, well, I don't think it was evergreen. a bad thing. Huh? That's evergreen. Yeah. <laughs> that's really never going to go away. <laughs> never. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? You're the more political of the two of us. Yeah, no, I, as an adult, I appreciated it. I don't know if it, I'm so politically in tune that a lot of stuff now kind of just makes me angry. So right. I don't know if, if it's worth it for me to to have the social conscience in a film that's also trying to scare 12-year-old Chris. I guess it's fine. Maybe if it has kids asking questions, you know, I think that's fine. Right. And uh, I think we can all agree that pollution's bad. <laughs> well, 60% of us, I think 70% <laughs> can agree that, that it's bad. But um, yeah. That's fine. I didn't feel shoehorned. It didn't feel forced to me. I thought it was fine. So that's not the greater message of what the film's trying to do. The film's just trying to scare the pants off of your uh, 12-year-old kid. That's all. Right. And I think it does a reasonably good job at that, Matt. So what are you you going to give Scary Stories as a grade? I'm going to give it a B. I thought it was pretty effective for what it was. Cut it a little bit of slack. And I I had a good time watching it. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a fine little creepy horror film. Yeah, I went with a B as well. Initially, I was going to go with a B minus. Uh, because of when I had that kind of epiphany of, as to who the audience for this thing is. And I'm like, you know what? In, in that realm, then I think it's it's very, very effective. Mm-hmm. So if you had a chance to see scary stories to tell in the dark, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Coming up, Matt, you did not get to catch up with this film as of yet. I did, and I'd like to share some thoughts on it because I think it may be gone from the theaters rather soon. So let's hear a clip from The Farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Manan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. We have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, then we'll find out right away. Really? So Aquafina stars as Billy Matt. She finds out that her uh, Nene has cancer and does not have long to live. So the family decides it's best for the grandmother um, not to be informed of the diagnosis. And it's a, it's the tradition there. And in that way, she can just live the rest of her life in blissful ignorance, is the thought. Uh, Aquafina's Billy disagrees with this concept and thinks, well, do you think she'd want to have the opportunity to say goodbye? There's a rather elaborate event plan to get the whole family together to spend those final time that's some final time with the grandmother and I'll uh, I don't want to spoil too much about it all I will tell you is that writer director Lulu Wang delivers I think one of the best films of the year it is touching it is heartfelt it is hilarious at times and it will break your heart and it also really I think I appreciate seeing others' cultures and how they handle things and 
discuss and and, and uh, maneuver through difficult life events, and this clearly is one of them. Um, and it's seeing the two, it's not a cliched phrase, with the culture clashes, with how Aquafina's character, Billy, who's brought up basically her almost entire life in the United States, has a very different perspective on things, clashing heads with her family, trying to figure out what the best thing to do for their grandmother is. Uh, and the moments that they spend together are very sweet and authentic, and I think that's the key to the film, is Aquafina's performance is very earnest, Matt. It feels very real to me. And this was just a pleaser, man. I got to tell you, it, it is, it is, it's, it's funny, and it get you know, and, and it's a little, it's a little tear-inducing. It really tugs at the heartstrings there. And it's also beautifully shot. I mean, there are some really fascinating shots. There's not a lot of close-ups on this. Wang chooses to kind of keep almost a family in frame all of the time, uh, and also illustrating some of the natural beauty uh of the land when they go visit her so in in um where is she in Changchun in china so it's just it's a wonderful little film matt and i can't recommend it enough so i'm giving the farewell an a do you have any questions for me no not really i mean it's something that i've been uh been meaning to catch i'm looking forward to seeing it so now i'm just gonna have to get around to watching it even though it'll probably be on DVD or streaming or something towards the end of the year at this point. Yeah, I would think so. But catch up with it as soon as you can. Uh, if you've had a chance to see The Farewell, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at com. Speaking of loss, Matt, let's spend a few minutes talking about what's coming up on Blu-ray and DVD. And we'll talk about why that is a loss next. What do men want? Boobs. No. Back off. Front door, pegging. Oh my god, threesome. What? What is it? What's the answer? They want to be heroes. There is nothing more compelling to a man than a vulnerable woman. Observe. Oh wow, you can just tear up like that. You can just balance a tear right on that lower lid. And can you make the tear roll down your cheek? Oh, oh. Okay, but can you make it go back up? So that is Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson in the update of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, The Hustle. That's coming up on Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday, August 20th. Here's the fun thing, folks. All my notes somehow disappeared for this segment. I found out basically minutes before we were supposed to start. So we're going to wing this part. The good thing is it's going to go a lot faster. (laughs) So enjoy that. Uh, Some other stuff coming up that's important-ish. The Superman Gone Bad movie. Matt Brightburn is getting its release. I guess it's worth a rental. Inevitably, I found it underwhelming. Would you say yeah. at least rent it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're curious about it and you haven't checked it out, check it out. See what's going on with it. It has some nuggets of good ideas in there, and it has some uh, some cool scenes and some creepy scenes, but it, it could have been a lot more. I think we were both pretty disappointed by it. Yeah. What else is coming up here? A Dog's Journey, the revolution, uh, I should say the renaissance of dog movies continues. And this time they're not <laughs> playing sports. A Dog's Journey, the sequel to A Dog's Purpose is coming out. There's a film here, Matt, called I Trap the Devil, which I want to see because I don't know if you know this. My favorite Twilight Zone episode is The Howling Man. Are you familiar okay. with the plot of The Howling Man? No, I'm not. So a guy, he's in, I believe he's in a car accident and there's a raging storm, and he comes upon a monastery. He's just looking for shelter. 
And the monk's kind of like, nah, we can't help you. I'm like, come on, you're a monk, bro. What up? So they let the guy come in and he stays there. And there's a man howling in the basement that they've locked up. And the howling man is convinced, listen, these they've gone mad. You have to let me out. Uh, and the monks tell him, listen, brother, that's the devil. <laughs> we finally captured him. And inevitably, they let him out. The, the, our guy, our lead, lets him out and then realizes what he did wrong. I would love to have seen a big screen adaptation or even a TV show then of uh, this guy dedicating his life to tracking down the devil. Well, this film is about a guy who traps the devil. So I hmm. think somebody took that howling man and just ran with it into a film. And I would absolutely love to see that. Hopefully I'll be able to check it out. What else is coming up here? New to Blu-ray, Matt. Arrow is releasing the Al Pacino film Cruising, which is a legendary and uncomfortable film at the time it was released, directed and written by William Friedkin. Pacino plays a gentleman who's on the hunt for a sadistic serial killer that brings him to New York City's underground bars. It has a very heavy uh, sexual, especially sexual content in it that was just revolutionary for its time. Also coming up is from Warner Archive is The Witches. This is the Angelica Houston film. I believe there's a remake currently in the works. The Criterion Edition release of Magnificent Obsession is coming out as well, directed by Douglas Sirk. What else we got coming up, Matt, as we bop around here on Blu-ray.com, giving them a shout-out for helping me out this last minute. Have you watched American Gods? You're a Neil Gaiman fan. The season two yeah. is coming out on Blu-ray. I watched the um, first season. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it, but for season two, there was some controversy. Showrunner, he he left. Um, he was the same guy who did the Hannibal TV show, which I really liked. Jillian um, Anderson, who was played one of the gods, she left. Um, so I caught like a couple episodes of the new season, and they weren't great. I meant to catch up with them, but I never finished it. Fair enough. Well, if you want to go all out and buy a hard copy, now you can. Uh, a couple great classic kind of cheesy horror films being released. Horror Frankenstein, The 4D Man, Billy the Kid versus Dracula. You can pick all of those up on Blu-ray. The Marrying Man starring Kim Basinger and Alec Baldwin, which was supposed to be a big hit in 1991, turned out to be a massive flop. Well, now you can check out what all the uh, uproar was over about that film and why it turned out to be not terribly good. And then, Matt, your streaming pick of the week is going to be Guardian of the Universe. And let me just tell you that the Guardian of the Universe font on the cover looks eerily reminiscent of the Guardians of the Galaxy font. Neil Stryker is an elite forces agent. I love that name. He's made famous, Matt, for capturing a villainous time traveler known as, oh boy, the Mad Scientist. After a magnificent asylum escape, the mad scientist rains chaos down in the city in his quest for revenge against the man that put him away. Stryker must now race through time, battle goblins, robots, Nazis, and sadistic killers in order to save the world. Man, that sounds like my kind of cheese. What should we be streaming this week? So I finally bit the bullet and I started my trial subscription to Shudder. I'm looking for a couple things um, that aren't available anywhere else. And as I was scrolling through it, I found um, that uh, there are three uh, Fulci classics giallo classics um with zombie city of the living dead and the beyond all available on shutter so i say you settle in for some ridiculously over-the-top violence and um enjoy some uh, italian giallo horror films oh i love me some fulci i actually had zombie on blu-ray 
and they did a whole new four scan of the damn thing and re-released it. Yeah. And I had to get it. I just broke down. And it, I got to tell you, the thing looks like it was made yesterday. It looks really? gorgeous. All right. So I love me. Oh, I love all that cheesy, fulci stuff. It is so much fun. And gore abounds in those things. So enjoy, weirdos. <laughs> Speaking of weirdos, let's spend a few minutes talking about memories of murder. あ、ま、本物を殺しまうもう覚悟いらじゅう覚悟れだ。あ。感触感度の弱に決まり。いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、いや、
So it's a satire of cop movies, or at least the, the dirty cop, you know, he's going to do whatever it takes to get that confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an earnest mystery thriller. There's some truly touching emotional moments. And as you said, some gorgeous shots in this thing. And then r- real moments of kind of fear and terror. And there's also, there's some political commentary too, because there's like a revolution happening on in the background as well throughout the entire film. So how he's able to balance all of these disparate themes and provide us with what I felt to be a thoroughly compelling film was quite the achievement. I agree with you that it doesn't perhaps break any new ground here, but as you said, I think this is an exceptionally well-executed police procedural film with some really interesting characters. I like the fact that our, our lead detective maybe isn't the cleanest detective around, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to close the case. But even he eventually turns and realizes, you know, maybe I kind of got to get my ass together on this thing. And then the other straight play by the rule cop kind of breaks, right? So everybody kind of has their twists and turns in this thing. And the film is overall kind of, boy, how do you say that giving away anything? It's, it doesn't end how you'd hope, I guess, is one way of putting it. Things are left a little ambiguous, and sometimes people get frustrated by that kind of thing. For me, I enjoy those moments if they work, and they do here. Not everything always wraps itself up nicely in a bow. So, overall, though, I really, really enjoyed Memories of a Murder Mat. Um, It's currently available on Amazon Prime. You can check it out there. I'm giving this a B. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm giving it a B as well. Like I said, it's it's a it's a good film. It's a well made film. It's a well acted film, and it's it's thoroughly enjoyable and, and watchable. Like I said, I don't think it breaks any new ground, um, but it doesn't really need to. And if you're looking for something a little more avant garde, you can pretty much look to any of these other films and go from there. Yeah, I mean, avant garde doesn't always pay off either. True. For all of its brilliant use of gray and in fantastic performances fincher's girl the dragon tattoo is eventually just kind of underwhelming right and not as good as the original film series so then man fidi alvarez this girl in the spider's web i don't know what the hell happened there that thing is a complete miss so as i said memories of a murder is currently available on amazon prime you could also rent it in all your streaming platforms if you had a chance to see memories of a murder why don't you go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. And it's memories of murder, right? It's mm. not the individual. It's memories of murder, not the A. Drop right. that indefinite article, folks. I am, <laughs> as the kids say, dumb. You are the stupid. Speaking of dumb, <laughs> it's now one of my favorite segments. It's What Are the Odds? What? You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Please. Please. Just stay calm. We're going to get you out of here. It's going to be all right. Give me a hand. We've got to get her out of here. Convulsion! Get back! Flame Kill it! Get back! Flame Move! Ooh, that's bad times, Matt. I wonder if we should put an explicit tag on the show just for that one scene, that audio. 
from Maybe. the 1986 classic Aliens from Mr. Avatar himself. <laughs> I think he's his best work, really. Uh, James Cameron. Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe not. <laughs> so what are the odds is when we as, just assign odds to something happening or not happening, whatever the case may be, to certain scenarios, and never go back to see if it actually did occur or not. Matt, that was a clip, as we said, from Aliens. There is a big hubbaloo right now. There is supposedly a Disney executive who's a little freaked out about Jojo Rabbit, concerned that there that the film may alienate the studio's core audience. Now, the satire of making fun of Hitler upsetting a core audience member makes me wonder who you think your core audience is. Right. But my question for you is, with Disney now owning all of these properties and concerned about their marketability overall, overall artistic merit, what are the odds we get a family-friendly, say, PG-13 reboot, or at least uh, just anything, of an alien movie? Jeez, God, that's a good one. I think I think that the odds are maybe like twenty five percent. I don't necessarily want to put it past them, but I can't see a bunch of little kids clamoring for a you know a forty year old property that they, they probably haven't seen until they were much older anyway. And I think the the target audience for that film wouldn't necessarily would hopefully not stand for for sullying something that's been sullied many many times since. Here's the thing: I I'm inclined to go a lot higher. Because I wonder if the, how do I put this? If it's a reboot, right? Because you can get away with a lot in terms of action when it comes to ratings. All you're going to do really, in fact, I wonder if if you cut out the profanity, if Aliens, if it came out today, would be PG-13. I think it would be. Yeah, I mean, there's really not that much gore in it, to be quite honest with you. I mean, it's other than. It scares, I think, in profanity and then some violence, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go a little higher than that. I'm going to say, I'm going to go 45% that you see a PG-13 kind of action or alien movie. Okay. Sadly. Yeah, that's that would be uh, that would be unfortunate. But you know what? It's not like they haven't already, you know, driven over the grave of the thing anyway. So, I mean, what, what else can I do to it at this point? Right. So we're going to switch to the small screen. I know it's something that we don't do very often, but I want to talk about this. So we know that Arrow um, is going off the air. This is its last season. The Arrowverse is in need of a new show. There's some speculation out there of what it could be. And the ones that are the front leaders are really not that interesting to me. But there are some that are. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on these, Chris, as, as someone who you know dabbles in the Arrowverse shows as well. Okay. So what are the odds we get a Constantine show on the CW? Oh, I have been pushing for a Constantine show on HBO since I was like 16. <laughs> Actually, what I really want is a is a John Robinson Tony Harris adaptation of Starman for HBO. I think that would right. be perfect, and it has a and it's finite. We already know the story, right? So they could definitely do that. I know they're doing. Who's doing Why the Last Man? Is it uh, it's uh, FX. It's FX. That's right. FX. Yeah. Right. Right. I can't. I'm literally looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, me too. So that it's Constantine. Now, keep in mind, their other Supernatural is also going off the air, too. So I feel like this could fit, like, two kill two birds with one stone. You know what? Who? It's Matt Ryan, right? That's the guy who yeah. plays him? Yeah. I liked that show. I thought it was fine. It took a little bit to get its legs underneath it. Most shows are like that. I bought right. the season because I think it was, like, 10 bucks. I'm like, oh, I'd want to watch this again. So I bought it, like, a couple years ago. I think it's right. since been down to, like, four. So I'm kicking myself now, but whatever. If they could get Matt Ryan back and redo it, 
I'd be all in on that, but it would have to be scary. I've never seen Supernatural. Have you watched that? Is that good? I did watch that show for a little while. I got into it for like the first uh, four or five seasons when the first guy, the guy who started the show was still running it. And then of course he left after that and it just kind of really went downhill, but it was kind of a fun, stupid, you know, teen Buffy Bane show kind of thing. So Hmm. I don't know if I want that. Yeah. Um, I mean that, but that's their target audience, right? Is yeah, yeah. I mean, the odds that there's going to be a Constantine show, yeah. I would say I'll go forty percent on that. You got any other op- nominees? Yeah, the other nominees are they're talking about a Blue Beetles Booster Gold Buddy show. Nah, ten percent. There's not enough name recognition, I don't think, for that. And one that fills me with dread: the New Adventures of Lois and Clark. Ooh, now that seems to be in the CW's wheelhouse. Ooh, is that going to be with the current Superman and Lois Lane they have? Yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, maybe 35% on that. I'm not confident on that either. I think Constantine's your, is your heavy favorite. Okay. Of the three that I gave you, yeah. which is not even any of the favorites. Although, and I and I wanted to mention, um, when we were talking the other day, the thing about Crisis that I want to mention was Ralph coming back to play Superman in the, the crossover. Yeah. I, I think it's... It's getting more clear. I th- I don't know. Maybe I just got sucked into something, but he may be Kingdom Come Superman. Oh, really? Okay. I've heard rumors or something that that's at least that's the suit. Okay. I don't know. That would be awesome if he came as Kingdom. No, I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> excited to see him in the Superman suit again. I think he really got screwed over in that film. I thought he did a fine job mm-hmm. of carrying the Christopher, Christopher Reeve mantle. He even sounded like him. You know, it's, it's well, anyway. Do you want to throw some odds on any of those? Do you have a preference of the three? Uh, I guess a, a preference of the three. I would like to see Constantine. I guess I give it. Yeah, I give it like a fifty percent chance, fifty-fifty. The other two, yeah, I'd say probably like, I'd say Booster Gold. That's probably about about fifteen percent. I would say Lois and Clark is more likely, just because of the kind of romancy aspect of it and how Riverdale is taken off and all this other stuff. So I would give it maybe like a forty percent chance that they do that. Yeah, and it's not like Legends of Tomorrow were filled with a whole bunch of people that everybody had known ahead of time right. either, right? So that's fair. Matt, what are the odds that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood gets a Best Picture nomination? Ooh, good one. Well, it's about Hollywood, which the Academy really loves. And it's a Tarantino film, and he usually gets nominated, though he doesn't really win. So I say it's probably like an 85% chance he gets a nom, especially with what's come out so far this year. I think that last statement you just said is the key. I think so far this season has been, this year has been horribly underwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting at around 85% myself. I think yeah. I think it's got a good shot because of the whole Hollywood angle, like you said. But then again, there's been nothing. This, and, and something like The Artist's Self-Defense, which won't get sniffed by the Academy, <laughs> is one of the better films. I think The Farewell is a great shot. Right. Uh, we'll see if people remember it by the end of the year. Maybe the only issue, but well, we're just really getting into earnest. Uh, you know, we're just getting into kind of award bait season now. So there's always every year we kind of say this, and then every year there's a bunch of smaller films that come out towards the end, just for Oscar time, and we they make you know they pick up like six seven spots in our top ten. So that's true. What do you got? The Hunt. Um, mm-hmm. A film about kind of like a da- most dangerous game riff where rich people hunt poor people, I think it's in, in Britain, um, has been pulled 
um, because of all the uh, goings on in, in the United States with the, all of the mass shootings that seem to happen every other day here. Um, but I, I guess, you know, my question is this, what are the odds that the hunt is ever released theatrically? Is it dead for good or is it just basically they're just kind of waiting for things to calm down? I don't know. So collateral damage was delayed how long? Remember that issue I, I right don't... after it was right around 9-11. It was supposed to come out the uh, Schwarzenegger film. Mm-mm. I don't and remember. It got delayed. How long did that get delayed for? It's a certain reason why well, we haven't never seen um, what you call it. True Lies on Blu-ray, right? Because they're... Mm. Uh, September 11, 2010, the film was originally scheduled to be released on October 5th, but was postponed till February of the next year. I don't know. It won't be next year, I don't think. Not until after. I don't think it'd be until after the election. Okay. Now, the whole weird thing, too, is the. He's upset about, you know, of the hunting of the for lack of a better term, when I say he, I'm talking about the president, um, of his supporters, right? It's basically conservatives that are being hunted by the rich elites. Right. Which you think is right in his wheelhouse. It's how dumb this man is. He doesn't realize that this is a film where his people are depicted as the heroes who rise up. So I don't, but whatever. Um, (laughs) I I can't begin to explain my disappointment in the cowardice of the studio to not release this film. Uh, I appreciate that you you maybe tamp down the advertising and don't do a big push for it, I guess, because the recent you know uh, grouping of shootings. In fact, there's another one just today while we're recording this. Some crazy guy is shooting a bunch of cops in Philadelphia. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the country's sick, but I don't know if this is the cure, this isn't the answer. Just like Walmart taking down all its video game displays. I, <laughs> right. It's still selling the shotguns in the back. Yeah, whatever. So no, it's no, I just don't think it's the right decision. So the odds that it ever, how would I actually answer your question? The odds that it ever comes out, <laughs> is it released theatrically? Specifically? Yeah. I'm going to go 35%. I'm not confident. Maybe they'll drop it on demand. Yeah. But, I think given the current political climate and just how reactionary and dumb people are, it's the studios probably think it's just not worth the headache though. I don't know. Maybe it's driven up enough. And there's one of those things now, right? It's, it's the Streisand effect. Now maybe more people will want to see it. Right. They can't. Right. Maybe 35% though. I'll sit on that. What do you got? What do you think? Um, I'm probably going to go 20%. I'm less confident than you. I think they'll end up releasing it eventually, but you're right. It'll go straight to streaming quietly be released on, you know, on-demand services where you can rent it and stuff like that, and, and then that'll be it. All right. Ooh, I got like a still have four more. I think I'm gonna sit on one for the end of the year as we get closer to Star Wars, unless you end up bringing it up. Okay. This is very Star Wars specific. How about this? Will Joaquin Phoenix's Joker make a cameo in the Batman? What are the odds? Um, I give that a fifteen percent chance of happening. I don't. I. I'm seeing a bunch of stuff right out. Like, I, I just feel like this feels very different than what they're doing, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm curious to see if this is almost treated as kind of like its own thing. I don't think it's going to be in the Batman. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm like at 5% on that. I don't think it's going to be tied. I think it's a separate offshoot and is not tied into any of the DC stuff. So I'm with you. What do you got? All right. And this is my last one. So James Gunn 
He is writing. Suicide Squad is going to be directing it as well. His brother has read the script and he says, it's really good. So what are the odds that the Suicide Squad by James Gunn is as good or better than the Guardians of the Galaxy? That's going to come down to casting, I think. And I don't know he's if he's at that stage yet, is he? I don't think he is, is he? Is he keeping Robbie? I mean, I would see, assume he's going to keep her because she was the lone bright spot out of this whole thing. Yeah, I would think so. All right, so supposedly the people who are confirmed are Margot Robbie, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, and then <laughs> your man, Jay Courtney. <laughs> What else is he going to do? He was like literally calling James Gunn, like, I will do it. I will do this. <laughs> turns his Captain Boomerang. I got to admit, he was one of the few enjoyable things about that film. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Of all the horrible things they say about the man, uh, he was one of the better things about it. Yeah. Um, What's the question again? <laughs> what's What are the odds that... Oh, this- it's better than Guardians. Or let's just even say is as good as Guardians. Well, I think as good, I'm going to go 65%. I think okay. Gunn's going to nail this thing. Um, I think he, though I know he went back to Marvel, part of me feels like he's got a little uh, FU in him here for that. And if, right. if DC, or if you say Warner Brothers is scouting him to take over the DC Entertainment Universe, all those films, then, man, I can really hope that comes to pass. Hmm. But no, I yeah, I think it's yeah, I think there's a very good chance. It all depends on who the rest of the cast is. Kinnaman's fine, Robbie's great, Courtney's really good in that role. Yeah. So we'll just I'm just curious who he ends up. I know Will Smith is out. So oh, darn, darn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm less optimistic. I'm very cautiously optimistic though. I'm gonna say 55 percent um, that it's as good. It's it's a big that's a tall order and. First one left a bad taste in people's mouths, so let's just see what he can do. I, I hope I'm I'm pulling for it though. I hope it's a good thing. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. It's definitely gonna be better than the first one. I don't know how it really Well, I mean that's like a layup. You and I could make a better could make a better version. We've never made a film before, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Good times. All right. Matt, I'm just gonna ask you, what are the odds Leah Sado's Madeline Swan character dies in Bond twenty five? Uh Explain to me why that's significant. She is the love interest and gets him to walk away from MI6. Okay. It's basically, I feel, a retelling of Tracy's plot line from Under Majesty's Secret Service where James Bond gets married. Okay. And Blofeld kills her. Okay. And then the next film, he goes on a rampage to because she gets killed at the end of the film. Okay. Under Majesty's Secret Service. And I'm okay. confident that that's basically what's going to happen today again, and that she will be killed at the end of the film, or maybe halfway through, who knows, but she'll be killed, and then I don't know what happens. So that's where I get confused. This film supposedly, or Bond's retired, there's a new 007, and then Jeffrey Wright's Felix Leiter pulls in Bond to help a mission gone bad. Okay. Because of retirement. Okay. So what happens? Does he ride off into the sunset? Does they do a reboot again? Right. Is that what happens? Or do they just go with a, what you had brought up once before, the code name theory? 
and that yeah. James Bond is the name that's passed down, which I would hate personally. Yeah. I think maybe another reboot is the maybe the way to go, which is I feel like is ridiculous as the words come out of my mouth. <laughs> but But aren't they all basically soft reboots anyway? I guess so. I don't know. Morris weren't. Well, no, but I mean, I think when they move to a different actor, it seems like everyone's like a soft, at least a soft. Well, they bring their own spin to the character, but, but I think, and if it's a, if it's a reboot again, then we can go a minority bond, which I'd be excited about. I think that would be Mm -hmm. really cool, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know. What do you, so what do you think? What are the, uh, I I guess this question is going to have the same impact as it would for me. Yeah. What do you think the odds that she is killed? At some point in that film. I'm going to say 45%. Just because it seems like that's something that they would do. That seems like the lazy, easy thing to do. To motivate the the you know killing machine. But at the same time, that's kind of what they did in the second Bourne film. So it seems like, are they trying to shoot their own foot off kind of thing? And get the unfavorable comparison? But it's what, that, that wouldn't be fair. That's, a whole, that's like a dark side Thanos thing all over again. Well, no, I understand. I mean, that's fine to you, Chris. I mean, as the super fan, but the, that fact is that probably the large movie going portion of the movie going public is going to have remember Born versus what they're going to remember from a bunch of you know a, a movie from the the sixties. Whatever. <laughs> don't make me. Don't make me mad. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Another thing too is we got to make these films a little more frequently than every GD five years. All right. Right. That's a big problem. They need to sign a younger actor and just churn them out in the old days when they had one every year or one every two years at the most. Right. That would be awesome. I'd like to see Bond actually go on a GD mission for once. He hasn't done that, I think, in like 15 years. It's always just been revenge for something else or going rogue from the agency. That's <laughs> what the people like. I guess. Grim and gritty, folks. All right. I had one about the Fast and the Furious. I'm just going to ask you, Matt. What, okay. What are the odds we get 14 Fast and Furious films before a reboot? There are 10 announced right now. 10 announced? They're, they're, so they're, the 10th film is on the slate. Oh, okay. There's one coming out next year and one immediately after. I think they shot them back to back. And we're not counting like the spinoffs like Hobbs Oh, and I am. I count them. Oh, you are. They're so all... the, the Fast and Furious universe. Yes. The Fast and Furious films, oh, including boy. the offshoots. What do you think we get up to 14? So I think we're going to get a sequel for Hobbs and Shaw. Mm-hmm. That's 11. Okay. That's three more films. I think that 14 is too high. I'll drop it to 13. Okay. What do you think? You know what? I, I think it's a, a depressingly good chance. I'm going to say there's a 70% chance we get to 13 films. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, that is crazy. Gonna- Vin Diesel's going to have to put up the little handicap placard in the car. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My real family left me. Oh, God. Family. They're all on a a bus trip to the casino. (laughs) Yeah, they're basically tearing through the deserts or through the fields trying to get to Branson, you know, in their uh, (laughs) their V8 Ford Taurus. Looking for those AARP discounts over at the right. uh, Pep Boys. Yep. You get a discount on nitrous if you're 60. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that they'll, yeah. I think that, I think 13 is definitely a possibility. And I envision then a reboot about five to 10 years later. Okay. The, the next generation with the kids. 
of Poor but I think Vin Diesel at least will be there to, to hand it off. He'll be oh, yeah. he'll be there to hand off the keys to his his supercharged charger or whatever. That's right. Of course he will. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt. I'm going to leave you with one. I don't want you to answer it. We'll save okay. it for another time as we get okay. closer. You folks at home, you can write us your answers if you want. What are the odds? Ray is a Skywalker. Oh, dun, dun, dun. So we'll figure that out as we get a little closer. To the film coming out later this year a little star wars action Did you see they're doing individual releases of the, on blu-ray of all the films oh really yeah they I announced them like a week ago they're gonna start okay. coming out so you can finally pick those up independently i think it's been six years since they released on blu-ray or something yeah i'm waiting for the 4k releases i would rebuy them on 4k i think i think but I, I would buy a few of them on 4k those the first three that didn't happen you know that people on the internet inexplicably love which i just i i mean even with all the i'm not saying the new trilogy doesn't have its flaws and even the original trilogy has its flaws but those films are all like head and shoulders above either of those pre any of those prequel films which is so bad and i don't get why people like them so much those are people that were 13 when it came out is what i think it must have been even less they must have been like six seven eight maybe you know, when those things came out. Could very well be. God, those are bad. So that's a big show this week, folks. Show us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. What odds would you assign to those scenarios? Do you have any suggestions for us for this segment? We'd love to hear them. You can check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I will read it on the air, and it'll help other people find the show. Do us a solid. Help me help you. Matt, let's go ahead. Actually, no, let's 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 not jump the gun here. Next week, what are we going to see? We're going to be good boys. So that and the other forty-seven meters down movies coming out. I have not seen the first one. Mm-hmm. There's a Bruce Springsteen film, Blinded by the Light. Well, not a mm-hmm. Springsteen film, but the young Pakistani immigrant family and the boy becomes enamored with Bruce's songs as he identifies with the lyrics, which I get. And then there's an Angry Birds movie too. I bet you didn't know that was coming. Mm-hmm. Super excited. Although you th- on our on the schedule that you made, I think your I think your long threatened uh, French new wave is, is set to start. So that's it. I was just about to say that to you. One thing Matt's <laughs> really excited about <laughs> is our French new wave marathon is coming. Now I will read you briefly here the films on the list. Now I can't guarantee they're going to go in this order because this is dependent on Matt actually being able to track the, down copies of these. Probably at your local library would be the best way to go. Though you might be able to find them online. You just have to rent them. Uh, the films in question are The 400 Blows, Breathless, Jules and Jim, Shoot the Piano Player, and Alphaville. Those are the films we chose for our French New Wave Marathon. We in air quotes. That's right. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to make a little game out of it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a tally of how many times somebody is smoking in that film. Like how many people are smoking – I'm just going to mark it down every single time and see who comes off the winner. That sounds like fun. (laughs) So let's go ahead then, Matt, and take an extended break, and we will see you all soon. Excuse me. May I go to the bathroom first? Of course you may.
Thank you.